Then they pass ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. And we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spread yourselves, spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And on the 14th night, when we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors, since they were approaching land, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the boat. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You will need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity just to be in your presence and to soak in your word. As Jeremiah declared, your words were found and we ate them. Your words became the source of our strength and delight. And I pray, Father God, that even now we would eat and sup of your word. Speak, Lord for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Maybe see it. Tonight I would like to tag this text leading through the storm. Leading through the storm. Um, we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 27 and what is a uh, what some theologians have called and even those who navigate the sea um historians, a a fascinating text. Um, This text has great detail about Paul as a prisoner traveling to Rome to see Caesar. 
In fact, uh, most sea navigators when reading this say that this is about as accurate as a portrayal as you can get on um, what sailors would do in a scenario that is lifted before us. And the type of storms that would have hit in this area or, or, or region of the world, especially late October onward. But in this text, we see that the Apostle Paul is going to start out as a prisoner, and he's going to end up being the leader on the ship. He starts out as one whom the sailors, as well as the soldiers, are suspicious of, and even who are willing to kill if things get bad enough. And he ends up being the person that everyone is looking to for direction and encouragement. And this is not a result of the Apostle Paul's kind of A-type, just get it done attitude, we'll see. We'll see that this is a result of God's grace being evident in the life of Paul in a powerful way. In fact, we stopped reading at verse 36, but if we were to carry the story over to verse 37 through 44, we'll see two things. One, we'll see that every single person on board, even though this uh, boat is going to be shipwrecked, every single person is going to survive the storm just as God had told Paul. The second, we're going to see that by the end of this journey, that the men on board and even the soldiers on board have a deep love and affection for the Apostle Paul. So much so, when one person advises that Paul be and the rest of the soldiers be put to death because they're going to have to all make a free-for-all swim and, and no soldier wants to be on an island or swimming for their life with a prisoner behind them who wants to be free, that the soldiers say, wait a minute, we can't hurt these men. Look at how good of a person or great of a person the Apostle Paul is. But as we look at this text, we want to remind ourselves that uh, we all are going to go through storms. As the old adage goes, either you are in a storm, you're headed towards a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. But all of us are going to go through storms. And as Christians, we've heard, especially in the book of Acts, if you've been journeying with us, uh, many sermons on suffering. But I think this text uh, teaches us some, a, a deep, valuable lesson. What this text teaches us is that God doesn't just want us to survive a storm. God doesn't just want you to make it on the other side of a trial or difficult situation. But as Christians, God wants us to thrive in the storm and that he can use storms in our life to influence or lead others to Christ. And that's what we see here, that in the midst of storms, in the midst of tribulations, that God is faithful and that if we anchor ourselves to the Son, um, we can lead other people even though we ourselves are going through life difficulties. So what do we need to do to lead with confidence through life storms? There's four things I want to suggest today. The first is, is that we want to learn to lean on previous experience. We want to learn to lean on previous experience. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul uh, says this to, to those who are on board. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. 
of the Apostle Paul says something interesting here. He says, man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. And the question we must ask ourselves is, how could the Apostle Paul see that this was going to turn out bad? The captain doesn't seem to be as concerned. Uh, the soldiers don't seem to be as concerned. Why is it that the Apostle Paul can see that disaster is lurking? And the reason I believe that he can see that disaster is lurking is because the Apostle Paul had been in similar situations before. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, we read, the Apostle Paul writes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He says three times I was shipwrecked. Most theologians would agree that by this point in Paul's life, he was shipwrecked at least twice, possibly already three times. So when he stands up and says to these men and gives them this warning, he's standing and he's talking from previous experiences. He's looking around. He says, wait a minute, fellas, I've been here before. I've been on a ship before where the captain made a bad decision in late winter to try to push through uh, tumultuous waters. And I'm telling y'all, I've seen this before. This does not end well. And the same way is true. If we are going to lead through life storms, we've got to remember our past experiences. Sometimes when we go through a storm, sometimes when we go through a trial, sometimes when things don't go our way, we get spiritual amnesia. It's as if it's the first time we've ever had hardship. And it's like we are spiritually starting over from the start line when God has already brought us from so much. This isn't the first time that you've ever found yourself in a situation where your money is funny. And God has brought you through some difficult financial situations. This isn't the first time that you and your spouse has had a disagreement that ended with somebody sleeping on a couch. This isn't the first time that your BFF haven't returned your phone call because you said something that they didn't like. This is not the first time that you found yourself in a situation in life where you're not quite sure or of what the next step is. And it is during those times of difficulties that we've got to pause and take inventory and remind ourselves of the truth, that God has gotten us through some stuff before. And he can get us through this as well. But we've got to lean on those past experiences. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel about a young shepherd boy by the name of David. He was a scrawny, a little Jewish teen who ended up fighting a massive, strong soldier named Goliath. And while all of Israel was cowering away from fighting Goliath, David stopped took inventory about what the Lord had already done in his life. And as a result of taking inventory, he was able to face this giant with faith. In fact, verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will not will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
So David, this scrawny little Jewish boy, and when facing Goliath, the thing that gave him courage was that God had already used him to defeat a bear and a lion. And notice I said God had already used him. No teenage boy going to defeat a lion and a bear and that not be God. Amen. And that's what we see in verse 37. David follows up and says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear will rescue me from the hands of a Philistine. The Lord who rescued me. And whenever we take time to look back and to lean on our previous experiences, we're not leaning on the fact that we made it over. No, we're leaning on the fact that God gave us strength to make it over. And that's how when everything else around us is crumbling and when people at our job is losing their last nerve, we can stand rather than panic and anxiety and fear with confidence and lead people. You know, worry is essentially internal strangulation. When we worry, it is our soul strangulating as a result of fear. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, I'm not saying that situations and the trials are not going to be hard. But what I am saying is that in the midst of them, as Christians, we can have a poise and a peace that the world does not know and that the world does not understand by simply remembering what God has already done. The second thing we want to do in the midst of the storm is we want to remember that we are God's possession. We want to remember that we are God's possession. So the the sellers continue to, to sell on. And we see in verse 23 that the Apostle Paul stands up and he lets everyone know about a visitation from an angel of, of God. But I love what he says here. He says, last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Did you see that or did you miss it? Look at this. The God to whom I belong. What does Paul do in the midst of the storm? He is reminded of the fact that God owns him. That God possesses him that he is God's possession, that God is his father, and he is his son. He belongs to someone. And why is that important? It's important because many times when we go through trials in life, so the first thing that Satan does is try to, to tempt us to believe that God does not care about us. That the reason we're going through what we're going through is because maybe we're not truly a son or a daughter of God. But Paul wanted people to know that even though I'm in this storm, even though I'm going through this hardship, I have a heavenly father who I belong to, a heavenly father who loves me and who I love. Now, my kids are dear to me. And if there's one way you want to get me in the flesh, as you say something bad about my kids, now I can talk about my kids. But you can't talk about my kids. I remember the first time somebody called one of my kids bad. All of a sudden, everything went in slow motion. I got in this little matrix field. I was like, hold on. You better smile. Why you ain't smiling? Why? Because that's my kid. In the same way God has affection and love for you, you are his. You belong to him. He loved you and he cares for you. In fact, he cares so much for you that he gave his only son 
for you. And it's in life's storms and in life's trials that sometimes we begin to believe the lie that we don't belong to God because we are going through a trial. And when we start believing that lie, what happens is we then forget our purpose and we forget God's promise. But as a king's kid, we've got to remember our purpose. We've got to remember who who we are. As first Peter tells us that we are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we may show off the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into the, the marvelous light. So what's our purpose? Our purpose is to show off God. That's what the Westminster Catechism says. The first question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is your purpose. The reason the Lord saved you, the reason the Lord adopted you into his family is for you to bring glory to his name. And whether we are on, if we're on a mountaintop or if we are experiencing a valley, the valley of the shadow of death, our purpose does not change. God wants to use that storm for our good and ultimately for his glory. But many times in the midst of the storm, we forget that we are God's possession and we forget that God has a purpose for us and even a purpose for our suffering. Our purpose, our purpose must be rooted in the fact that God wants to use our lives for his glory. And if your purpose in life is money, what happens when the stock market crashes and you lose it all? If, if your purpose in life comes from your job, what happens when you uh, get let go because of a company cutback? If your purpose comes from your family, what happens when you lose a child, a spouse, or a parent? If your purpose in life is health, what happens when the doctor comes in with a, a grim result? See, the storm has a way of testing our purpose. The storm has a way of revealing who we possess and what possesses us. The storm has a way of showing us what our deepest value and trust is. Jesus put it this way. He says, listen, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What are you building your house on? Are you building it on sports team, sex, winning the lotto, a vehicle, your parents? Or are you building it on Christ? Everything else is quicksand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see in this text, 
that Paul is able to lead in the midst of a crisis because he has concluded like the psalmist that the Lord is my solid rock, it's my fortress and my rescue. The third way that we lead through life storms is by persevering through hardship. It's by persevering through hardship. When we look at this text, we see that uh, this, this storm um, is not only a vicious storm, but it's going to last for weeks. For weeks, they are going to be in the eye of a storm. And some trials that you go through last for a night. It lasts as a result, perhaps, of you eating some bad food and having food poison. Some trials you go through may last for a week. We've all had just a bad week. When Sunday comes, we're like, praise the Lord. That week is history. Some trials last for a month. You look back at a month and you say, my goodness, this month has really gotten the best of me. But some trials last for years. Some of us, we carry stuff that we've been carrying stuff for a long time. And honestly, some, some storms last for a lifetime. But the thing is, when we have storms that seem to be persistent, sometimes we doubt whether or not, not, not only are we God's child, but are we in God's will? And what this passage showed me this week is that you can be right smack in the middle of God's will and going through a long, horrible trial. Paul was right where God wanted him. God told Paul, he said, you must testify as you has in Jerusalem, in Rome. Paul was in the will of God, and yet he goes through this vicious storm. In fact, the emphasis that Luke is putting on how bad this storm is, 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 is quite hilarious, at least it is to me. In verse 4, we see him saying, the winds were against us. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days and had difficult arriving. The wind did not allow us to hold our course. Verse 8, we moved along the coast with difficulty. Verse 9, sailing had already become dangerous. Verse 14, a wind of hurricane force swept down. Verse 15, the ship could not head into the wind. Over and over, Luke is reminding us that this was a bad storm. He's like, yo, this storm was bad. Next verse, and the storm was really bad. <laughs> Three verses later, did I tell you this storm was bad? Over and over, he is reminding us of the intensity of the trial that he's going through. And I don't know about you, but around verse 8, I'm tapping out of that storm. I said, Lord, just take me. <laughs> but it persists not only up to verse 14, but through the rest of the chapter, almost every other verse, Luke is reminding us that they were in a horrible situation. In fact, we even read in verse 20. Now, this is Luke who wrote the New Testament. And this is the Apostle Paul who wrote 13 letters. Luke, who wrote part of the New Testament, two, two uh, volumes. Paul, who wrote over 13 letters. Listen to what they concluded in the middle of the storm. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And sometimes life has you at a place of just wanting to give up hope. Sometimes life just has you at a place where you just say, Lord, I know to live is Christ and to die is gain. I won't be mad if you take me right now. Sometimes even the most holiest and, and godliest of people find themselves like Elijah, sitting under a juniper tree, wishing that God would just, just take me home to be with you, Lord. And what do we do in moments like that? What we do is we rely on the 
the promises of God. That's what Paul does. In the midst of this storm, he finds comfort in what God had told him. Right after we read in verse 20 that they had given up hope, an angel comes to the Lord and says, listen, Paul, this is kind of fun. He says, your ship is going to be ruined. You all are going to have a horrible crash. That's the bad news. The good news is everybody on board is going to die. Now, I would have been like, I'm not sure how to take that. But Pilate comes to me and says, Jamal, got bad news and good news. The bad news is this plane is going down. The good news is you're going to live. I'm still not that comforted, right? But the Apostle Paul hears this message from this angel. And for the rest of the chapter, he exudes impeccable leadership. Why? Because he has heard from the Lord. He is convinced that the Lord is going to get him through this trial. And in the midst of hard hardships, in the midst of difficult trials, we've got to remind ourselves of the promises of God. If we're going to lead other people and not crumble in the midst of a storm, if we are going to not crumble at our workplace but before non-believing people, it is because we are standing on God's promise. You say, well, God didn't promise me that I was going to make it uh, through this storm. He may not have promised you that you're going to make it through this storm. He may not have promised you that you're going to live through next week, but he has promised you some things. James 1.5, he's promised that if you pray, he'll give you wisdom. If you pray to prayer of faith, he has promised you some things. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it into completion. Oh, he's promised you some things. He has promised you some things. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, that he will make a way of escape with every temptation. He has promised you some things. John 16, that in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He has promised you some things. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, until the end of time. He has promised you not only that he is the one who was, but he is the one who is and who is to come. He is our shepherd, not he used to be your shepherd, not he will be your shepherd in the future. He is your shepherd right now. And no matter how dark the valley of the shadow of death uh, is, he's there with you. That's what the Apostle Paul realizes. And in the midst of the situation, when the captain has a lost hope, Paul still has hope. When the soldiers have lost hope, Paul still has hope. When other prisoners have lost hope, Paul still has hope. Why does Paul still have hope? Because Paul is anchored to the Lord. Stock market crashes, Christians, we can still have hope. Nations begin a war against other nations, Christians, we can still have hope. Christians sometimes kill me, scared of nuclear war. Oh, the world's going to end. We're just going to blow each other up. We're not going to blow each other up. The only way the world's going to be destroyed by fire is when Christ comes back to make things, all things new again. We can navigate through the craziness of life with a, a, a surety, with a, with a peace that passeth all understanding, with, with a, a tenacity, with a, a helpfulness, with a, a brokenness and yet a beauty because we serve a Savior who was broken and yet who is beautiful. How are you leading as you go through your storm? 
How are you inspiring a watching world as you battle depression? How are you inspiring a a watching world as, as you heal from a divorce? How are you inspiring a a, a watching world as you deal with your your melancholy? I'm telling you that in Christ, even though those things may be present and they may be true, that you can go through it with a hope because Christ reigns and rules on a throne. I'm going to take my seat in just a second, but I do want to give you this last principle that we see that we must have if we're going to lead through life's storm, and it's this. In the midst of the storm, we've got to learn to praise to praise God. If we're going to lead through the storm, we've got to learn to praise God in the midst of the storm. We see in verse 43 of chapter 27 that there was a centurion who spared Paul's life and kept him alive when other soldiers wanted to kill him. And I kept asking myself the question, what what is it about the Apostle Paul's life that was so dear to the centurion? Well, one, I believe that even in the midst of a storm that the Apostle Paul had this poise because he was anchored to the Lord. Now, Paul did live with a a vulnerability and a brokenness. We we see when the angel of the Lord comes to Paul, he says, Paul, do not be afraid. Why did he tell Paul not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. (laughs) So Paul didn't have this, 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 he didn't lead perfectly. He had moments of, of weakness, as I said earlier. But what Paul did is he exuded Christ in the midst of the storm. Look at this. This is absolutely fascinating. Verse 33 says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. And he reminds them of this promise. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And then we read this. He took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. This is amazing. Y'all don't understand. The man, the the text says that they were going through a storm with hurricane-like winds. And in the midst of a hurricane, this brother gets some bread, tells them to sit down and eat, breaks the bread, and gives thanks to God for the bread. Y'all missed it. In the midst of a storm, after not eating for two weeks, The Apostle Paul, before eating, gave thanks to God. I am convinced that as Christians, one of the best ways that we can be witnesses to a dying world, a world that does not know Jesus, is by learning to praise God on credit. It's by learning to praise God in the midst of a trial. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will boast in the Lord. It's as if 
David is, is, is conjuring his soul, commanding his soul to, to do what it doesn't feel like doing. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why will you bless the Lord at all times, David? For his praise shall continually be in my mouth. The key is David is not blessing the Lord. He's not praising the Lord for all things, but rather in all things. And that's the difference. I'm not going to praise God for a bum knee, but I can praise God with a bum knee. I'm not going to praise God for migraine headaches, but I can praise God with migraine headaches. Later on, Paul's going to write the same thing. He says, in all things, give thanks. He didn't say give thanks for all things. He said give thanks in all things. And I declare, I declare in the midst of your storm, if you learn to praise God on credit, what you'll see is that the credit that you're praising God off of has already been paid anyway. It was on the cross that Jesus Christ paid. (laughs) for that praise for you. But Jesus Christ said, it is finished. It is finished. We've got to learn to praise God in the midst of the storm. You say, well, you don't understand, Pastor Jamal. I, I, uh, I'm eating hot dogs right now. Well, praise God that you have hot dogs to eat. God didn't promise Ruth's Chris. Hot dogs will make it. Well, Pastor Jamal, I'm not looking as as fly as I want to look. My money's a little fun. Well, praise God, you've got clothes on your back. Amen? Everybody in here has clothes on their back. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Amen. You can praise God that you got clothes on your back. You may not have the mansion that you want or live in a house that you dreamed of, but praise God, you've got a roof on your head. Praise him, you've got a roof on your head. You may not have the car that you want, and you may not even have a car, but praise God for Tark. And you may not have Tark, but praise God for your feet. And you may not have feet, but praise him for the wheels on the wheelchair. And you may not have a wheelchair, but praise him for the seat. And you may not have hands to clap, but stump your feet. You may not have feet, but you got a voice. Use your voice, whatever it is. Give God praise because he's good anyhow. We can give God praise also because over 2,000 years ago, there was another man who was in the middle of a storm and who in the middle of that storm, he stopped and gave thanks. And his name was Jesus. Jesus took on the worst storm that there could ever be. The storm of sin and death. He went to Calvary's hill. He went to Golgotha's hill. He took the wrath of God on himself so that we would not have to. And every time Satan tries to remind you in a storm of what you're not or try to to tell you that God doesn't love you, you point back to that hill. You point back to what Jesus did for you over 2,000 years ago and you say, Satan, you are a liar. I know God loves me because God became incarnate and God walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. And he who knew no sin became sin so that I might be the righteousness of of God. Anchor yourself to that. So Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What are you building your life on? What are you doing in the midst of the storm? Are you leaning on God's providence because he is the creator and sustainer of all? Are you remembering that you are God's possession? That he 
owns and loves us in Christ Jesus? Are you persevering through hardship, knowing that God empowers us to go the distance by relying on his promises? And are you praising God in the storm, knowing that God is glorified as we stand on his goodness, no matter the raging sea? And I believe, as Christians, I believe as a church, if we commit ourselves to Christ in the midst of the storm, that we'll see other people come to know him as a result of how we handle the storm. And as I said earlier, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of this bread, and drink of this cup, says you proclaim the Lord's death. This cup represents the new covenant in his blood. Represents the fact that salvation is by grace and grace alone, that we cannot earn our salvation. That it has been earned by Jesus Christ. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of the bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And every time as a family we take this meal, it is to remind us of, of God's faithfulness towards us. And week in and week out, we get to come together in the midst of our various lives and various trials and various tribulations. We get to take this meal together to remind us of God's faithfulness. And if you're not a Christian here, we're going to ask you not to take this meal. But our prayer is, is that you would sit down and think about what I said, that the only sure foundation in life is Jesus Christ. And if you are finding your deepest and truest satisfaction in anything or anyone other than him, it is sinking sand. It is quicksand. It will not satisfy. So we want to offer you a relationship with Jesus Christ and call you to believe in him and to receive this free gift of salvation by trusting him as Lord and Savior. If you're at the front half of the room, you can come to the front to take communion. Those in the back half of the room, you can go to the back to take communion. Gluten-free communion is over to our left. Let's feast. Let's remember God's promises.